Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. Hey everybody, Crew Chief Eric here. And this time on TLDR, or Too Long Didn't Read, we cover the entirety of Car Masters, Rust to Riches, Seasons 1 through 4. I'm not generally one to fall prey to watching a reality television show. I don't like them. The drama is often contrived and the flow of time is manipulated to create artificial stress. Not to mention the cast are generally an insufferable motley crew that make you want to throw things at the screen. Lately, I've been on a tear of reviewing motorsports-related programming that is available on streaming services, and I stopped for a moment to watch the trailer for Netflix's premiere season of Car Masters, Rust to Riches. What really hooked me was the opening of season one, where the premise of the show is clearly explained. The idea is to mimic the red paperclip trade-up many of us might remember from a few years ago, whereby a young man wanted to see how far he could take the barter system and see if he could find a way to start with a simple object, in this case a red paperclip, and continue to trade and barter until he ended up with a house. Welcome to Gotham Garage. The Temecula, California-based Gotham Garage's new business venture was quite similar. Start with a $1,000 vehicle and build something worth trading for another vehicle. Build, repeat, build, repeat, until finally having a vehicle worth over $100,000, or what they refer to as the six-figure payday. Gotham Garage and its owner, Mark Talley, are no strangers to building custom cars, and there are even other shows about their work. The show follows the journey of the Gotham Garage team for the better part of a year. They are a small crew, Mark who's the owner and the lead designer, Sean, the wheeler dealer, Tony, the machinist, Caveman, the mechanic, and Constance, the engine builder. From the first car they build, a 1964 Ford Thunderbird quote-unquote rocket car, to the very last one, an authentic 1955 Lincoln Futura replica, the show keeps you engaged the entire time. Some builds are split up across multiple episodes, leaving you with a tinge of cliffhanger moments, but not really. Let's face it, I'm binging, so this is an easy plow through of a few 30-minute episodes. It's definitely not couples cuddling time programming, but my wife was able to watch with me and found the build process interesting and the results of the work impressive. From a non-car person perspective, I think that speaks volumes. Overall, Car Master's Rust Riches doesn't have the typical drama of a reality program, but more a documentary format with moments reminiscent of The Office and its breakaway monologues. The result is a lot of long hours dutifully recorded and compressed for the audience. Whatever was left on the cutting room floor during production doesn't seem to matter. It probably would have taken away from the builds. The candid and simple nature of the format showcases some really creative, innovative, and unique design and engineering work. For me, some of the work that Tony and Caveman were able to accomplish was incredible and made me want to continue watching to see how they might tackle the next issue or set of requirements. I was pleased to see that the team gets along personally and work together flawlessly, which made the viewing experience even better compared to other shows in this genre. Split an image. Aside from the Futura, which you might recognize as the 1960s Batmobile, I would say that the second most complicated build the team took on was a scale replica of the famed 1968 Hot Wheels Splitten Image toy. 
I actually had one of these in dark blue. It was a hand-me-down. So I was intrigued to see how they might scale up this toy. The team based a replica on top of a 1987 Corvette C4, which by calculations had the same scaled-up wheelbase as the toy and nailed all the aspects and details of the concept car. It was even painted to match the rare Hot Wheels magenta color, and in a more recent image, the vehicle looks as though it has been repainted again by the owner along with the addition of some Corvette C6 wheels. There are definitely some really cool builds and projects in the show, but I don't want to spoil the series for you. Moreover, since I'm not a TV or movie critic, I won't be giving Carmaster's Rust to Riches an official view-o-meter percentage of pleasurability score. As a motorhead, I'll leave you with this. The eight-episode run was worth the watch, and I'm looking forward to season two. Season two, upgrade and trade. The return of Carmasters, Rust to Riches. This week, Netflix released the much-anticipated season two of Carmasters, Rust to Riches, and it's been over a year and a half since the original season, so let's get caught up. If you recall, season one ended with the sale of a 1954 International Cab Over and a 1955 Lincoln Futura, for a whopping $170,000. That allowed Mark Towley and the Gotham Garage team, Sean, the wheeler dealer, Tony, the machinist, Caveman, the mechanic, and Constance, the engine builder, to expand Gotham Garage to a second shop, also located in Temecula, California, to help give them more space to work and grow their projects. Double the room, double the efficiency, Mark says. Season two ditches the red paperclip idea from season one and goes for a straightforward upgrade and trade approach. Carmasters packs the entire season to eight easy-to-digest 30-minute episodes. The season kicks off with a 1953 Buick Sleeper Special and the goal of obtaining the big payday with a 1959 Corvette concept. But plans are quickly derailed by a series of unfortunate events starting with a wreck and a couple of deals gone wrong. Electrified. Much like Mark, I'm not the biggest fan of electric vehicles, yet. And he was presented with the challenge to build an all-electric drag race car encased in the shell of a 1973 Ford Pinto for famed IndyCar team owner and Roadster Hall of Fame winner Gil Losey. How could he say no, right? With a budget of $50,000 and a time to beat of less than nine seconds in the eighth of a mile, the team got to work. Despite being a Pinto, and despite being electric, the build was probably one of the most fascinating of the season, including things like tandem motors, Tesla batteries, electroluminescent paint, and more. In the end, the E-Racer Plus, as it was badged by the team, put down an astounding and silent one-eighth mile run of 7.80 seconds on its first pass. The team handed over the keys to Gill for $75,000 and rolled their profit into their next set of projects, which included a custom Harley Bagger, a 69 Ford Mustang Mach 1 widebody, a custom T-Bucket wedding coach, Bob Anziano's Viper-powered 1948 Buick Roadmaster chop top, a retro-inspired Chevy Astro band conversion van, a 35-foot twin-engine Corvette boat, a 1930s Ranger-powered Ford Sprint racer, and a 24 Hours of Lemons Chrysler Sebring shark car. Reskinned. Although not my first choice in color schemes, the Vader kit car, which the team acquired after selling the Corvette boat, was another complicated but engaging build. The Vader is designed as a reskinning kit and lays over top a mid-2000s Infiniti G35. I found this fascinating because my assumption was that all kit cars were just that, a kit you turned into a car. Everything you need in one box, just like a caterer. 
In the case of the Vader, you buy yourself a running G35 for about $8,000 and the Vader kit for another $11,000 and spend the next six months or so carefully removing everything outside of the drivetrain, suspension, and framework. Then you jigsaw puzzle all the pieces together with no instructions because you lost them from the shrink-wrapped pallet until you end up with what looks like a European hypercar and sell it for about $80,000. I mean, how hard could it be? If you're interested in the Vader, check their website, www.vadersupercar.com, for more information. Oh, and by the way, Shaquille O'Neal drives one. A package deal. As I mentioned earlier, a series of unfortunate events and deals gone wrong set the season on an entirely different trajectory than originally intended. The 1959 Corvette concept was no more, but in a way that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. There was a new big payday car on the horizon, but it was a long reach to get there. A reach that included setting up a two-in-one trade. In order to get their final project, the team simultaneously restored a pre-war 1930s Sprint Racer and a 1947 Dodge Power Wagon using both shops. Unlike other builds, both vehicles were kept quite austere. It was good to see that not everything had to include skulls and spiderwebs, as these vehicles were tasteful remixes of their original forms. The Exner. It's okay if you've never heard of the 1960 Plymouth Valiant-based Exner concept car, because not many other people have either. The original Exner was built by Virgil Exner, see also the Stutz Blackhawk, as a one-of-a-kind asymmetrical roadster. It was moving art designed to showcase the abilities and the future of Plymouth. If you look at it with one eye closed and one off to the side, you can start to appreciate some of the Exner's unique qualities. At first glance, you might even recognize that it's really a single seater with a sidecar on a 106 and a half inch wheelbase. Why the Exner? Just like at the end of season one with the Lincoln Futura build, the Exner was a build no one else had ever been successful at attempting, let alone completing, until the team at Gotham Garage came across a gentleman named Adam from Vermont. He claimed to have obtained the original blueprints for the Exner, recreated the molds, and fabricated exact replica body panels, laying them on top of a 1960 Valiant, just like the original. Adam, unfortunately, didn't have the resources to continue the project any further and agreed to trade the Exner to Gotham Garage in exchange for the Ford Sprint Racer and Dodge Power Wagon that we mentioned earlier. The team made quick work of getting the Exner completed. Now they were faced with a larger dilemma sell the car to any number of private collectors for nearly $200,000, or donate the car to the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles for all the world to see. Amidst all that drama, the team ultimately decides to bring their Exner build up to museum quality and park it alongside Mark Talley's other entrant from 20 years ago, the C4 Corvette-based Speed Racer Mach 5 replica. This would make Mark part of an elite group of car builders to have more than one vehicle featured at the Peterson. As I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of reality television, but my affinity for Car Masters and many well-crafted restoration shows in the last few years has grown significantly. I anxiously awaited the return of Car Masters, and even though season two felt a little more produced at times, it didn't lose its overall charm or appeal. I was really happy to see the team still together, and their work is nothing if not engaging and top-shelf quality. In the end, the Gotham team didn't get the big payday they originally hoped for, but I actually think they got something more. The notoriety that is going to come from the Exner build, along with having a vehicle in the Peterson, moves them way up the ranks. I'm still curious to see how this will affect season three of Car Masters, but let's not wait until next year to find out. Right, Netflix? Season three, Cash is King.
There are very few shows anymore that can be off the air for a year or more and still get me revved up to dive back into a full season and binge it immediately. Car Masters is definitely in my top five restoration shows, and because of COVID, I'd admittedly given up on it ever coming back, and I was pleasantly surprised when it popped on my Netflix homepage with the red New Episodes banner. Unlike other shows of this genre, Car Masters is rare in that it's a show that I can share my review time with my wife without much complaint. She approves of the petrol head lifestyle, but isn't always engaged at the same nerdy level as the rest of us are, especially me. I have to give her credit for her willingness to continue watching the cast and the chemistry of the Gotham Garage team, which I've talked about in our two previous reviews. Out of the gate, you could tell that the team was trying to change the formula of the show, wanting to focus on high-end customers and custom builds, also known as cash builds. And as my wife quickly pointed out after two failed attempts, I like the fact that they're not covering up these bad projects. No excuses. They just cut their losses and move on. Within those first couple of episodes, it definitely cements the fact that Gotham Garage isn't like other teams. Straightforward, no nonsense, and much of that is because of owner Mark Talley and his vision of what custom cars should be. Falling back on what worked, in previous seasons, the team pursued more upgrade and trade projects where creativity wouldn't be stifled, or as Mark puts it, I hate lists, referring specifically to an El Camino Resto Mod project Sean set up where he was asked to build a car from a catalog rather than using his artistic talents. After an unbearable amount of scope creep, the project was turned away with too much drama incomplete. As the team got back into their groove, modding cars and building up to their six-figure payday, many of the builds featured repetitive choices in parts. One of them in particular, my wife commented, are they going to use that cartoonish stack again? Referring to the stacked intake and roots blower supercharger and cal that you see on many old school dragsters. I have to agree with her. It's cool for certain builds, but after seeing it three times, it does seem a bit too Hot Wheels. A big difference from previous seasons of Car Masters was the change in focus with respect to who was conducting the narrative. Generally, it would bounce between Mark and Sean with these office-like asides where they explain what's happening and what's next with the project. In this season, Constance, Tony, and Caveman were included in the monologues and with two shops to work out of, were given creative control over their own projects, with some direction from Mark, of course. The quality of the builds from Gotham Garage is always top-notch, but in the eight-episode season, there were two builds that were truly compelling. Those are the Firebike, which Tony built for his uncle, and Caveman's short bus build. We don't want to spoil it for you, but they are by far the best, and the stories behind them are touching. Just before season three wraps up, still frustrated by the arguments surrounding high-end builds, Mark decides he needs to stretch his creative wings and build something truly from his own vision. A car I've been designing for over 20 years, he claims. Almost stubbornly engrossed in the idea that if you build it, they will come, this custom build is justified with the rationale that it will really put Gotham on the map and people will open their wallets at auction to the tune of $250,000 to $300,000. We didn't take issue with the principle, but more so with its execution. The design itself, as my wife put it, seems dated and juvenile. And as a petrol head, I was disappointed that Mark went to the C4 Corvette donor list yet again. He's used that chassis as the jumping off point for many custom builds. I didn't mind it with the Speed Racer movie car or the split and image Hot Wheels from season one and others, but this particular design, which takes some cues from the Bugatti Veyron, looks like a mid-engine sports car. Albeit exaggerated, it should have been built on a mid-engine platform. A Porsche Boxster, perhaps? 
Mark specifically sought out a 1993 Corvette C4 ZR1, the most expensive and hard to find used C4 Corvette. For something this risky, I can understand falling back on what you know, and it saves time to start with a motor that makes slightly over 400 horsepower. At the cost of over $20,000 for the base car, a Boxster still has my vote. All that aside, the build quality escalates into not just a car, but a paired Hayabusa motorcycle. Okay, bike and car equals $250,000. Maybe? The 600-pound Gorilla. Halfway through the season, you start to realize that the majority of the Car Masters Season 3 was filmed in the before times, on the heels of Season 2, well before COVID brought everything to a halt. Finishing the custom C4 supercar build at the start of lockdown forced the team to hold their own virtual auction via Zoom instead of taking their pair of vehicles to Meekum, Bear Jackson, or some other live auction that would have been held in the late winter of 2020. With a poor showing and unable to meet the reserve Mark had set out, he decided to conclude the auction without sale. The look on the team members' faces when Mark drew his line in the sand was anything but scripted. As my wife exclaimed, Constant is going to run over and slap him. She's pissed. Towards the end of the Going Going Gone episode, the team is faced with some tough decisions about what's next, and the season seems to end abruptly. Looking back, it's been nearly a year and a half since then, so the question still remains, will there be another season of Car Masters? We hope so. Season four, respect the artist. Pay for my vision and be hands-off creatively. That's the overwhelming theme of season four of Car Masters, Rust to Riches on Netflix. When my wife and I saw the announcement for the return of our favorite restoration show in mid-July, we couldn't wait to buckle down and binge. The season opens with Mark Talley rummaging through dumpsters at a local junkyard, something I am all too familiar with. Going to the yard is, as Forrest Gump would say, like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. As my wife pointed out, the opening was cute and fun, but turns to its scripted formula quickly, picking up almost immediately after the epic fail of the online auction for Gotham Garage's supercar and motorcycle concept pair from season three. From this moment on, the number of times 250 grand is said in the first four episodes could easily be turned into a drinking game. We get it. You want to get paid for your creation. Selling a one-off concept car in a post-COVID, economically downturned, near-recession climate has to be tough. As outsiders looking in, we understand why someone would want to invest their money in more common or better-known classic and collector cars. It just makes good financial sense. But hang on. Because in typical car master style, Sean will wheel and deal until we get there. Because after all, there's an ass for every seat. And let's face it, what would a car master season be without some upgrade and trade until the six-figure payday, right? Gotham Garage is known for its gothic-inspired, over-the-top, near-cartoonish builds, and this season is no exception. The team comes out of the gate trying to make up for lost time with a 1928 Essex Rat Rod, hoping to turn a $30,000 profit on what's being touted as a $0 build. I must drive flat out! Out of seemingly nowhere, Mark and Sean get a call from a local avid Porsche-file who wants to take his VW Beetle-based Elite Laser 917 kit car and make it track-ready. Okay, you have my attention. Mark and Sean visit the customer's garage to inspect the car and find that it's a barely-together rolling chassis with an early 911 2.2-liter flat-six waiting to be installed. The owner claims $40,000 upfront for the build and a bonus 10K if the car is capable of a sub-two-minute lap time at the Streets of Willow configuration at Willow Springs Raceway, about an hour north of Los Angeles. It goes without saying that the Gotham team are out of their element with most European cars. Do you remember the smart car off-roader from season one? 
Granted, this classic Beetle-based vehicle isn't the most sophisticated, but they immediately run into issues with the Porsche engine and its ignition system. Having worked on early 911 engines with my father, I can definitely sympathize. In the end, they were able to get the car, quote-unquote, track ready with some subtle Gotham touches. No spider webs from what we could tell, but mostly a replica of Steve McQueen's golf-liveried 917 from the movie Le Mans. I will admit that outside of the engine being oriented the wrong way for a 917 and the goofy exhaust, the car looked much better than when they started the build. Performance is what stands between the team and an extra $10,000. Despite the awkward seating position and the terrible Hurst-like shifter that the driver had to contend with, the Elite Laser 917 was able to complete a hot lap of Streets of Willow in a 152.29, shattering the driver's previous benchmark time of 2 minutes and 3 seconds. Did he say rocket car? The ho-hum, woe-is-me vibe continues through episode 3, where we add a couple more projects to the mix. We can't even explain the T-Bucket-Ranchero mashup during the first part of the episode, so we're not going to. But cramped is the first adjective we'd like to use. But you just have to check it out for yourself. Now that's a cool car, exclaimed my wife, as the team takes on a 57 Chevy two-door wagon build in the second half leading into episode 4. This was a well-done and subtle resto mod with a brilliant red and alpine white paint scheme, beautiful interior, and a build quality that we came to expect from earlier seasons of the show. The car, in our opinion, was almost too good for the deal that Sean presented in trade, whereby the new owner of the wagon would allow the team to select any number of classics in their salvage yard. At first glance, it seemed like there wasn't going to be any fruit to pick from from this yard, and as Mark says, nothing here but late models but we all know the good stuff is always kept in the back. After some expected bartering, the proposed trade is for a 1969 Camaro Coupe, 62 Cadillac Coupe, and a 1996 Lakester Bonneville Salt Flats Racer in return for the 57 Chevy wagon. The Camaro is quickly taken off the table with a story about round tuits and whatnot, and the caddy gets chopped into a more desirable convertible and then flipped, while the Lakester gets turned into a rocket car. And if by rocket car you mean attaching a couple of map gas propane tanks with mini flamethrowers pushing out of some dryer vent, then yes, we have achieved rocket car status. This build was disappointing for the team as well as for the viewers. It was such a wah-wah moment, followed by a $15,000 loss on the sale. Personally, this car should have just been sold as is to a collector or a museum since it had racing pedigree and a legitimate Oldsmobile Aurora IndyCar power plant. What were they thinking? Episode four somehow turned into Pimp My Ride, taking a pristine, near-museum quality U.S. military ambulance and turning it into a gaudy, gold-wrapped disco party bus. A tidy profit of $17,000 was made from the build, along with an additional $13,500 profit from a Mark V-based five-cylinder VW Beetle Cabriolet that was morphed into a modern Baja Bug for an up-and-coming female off-road racer. Unlike the smart car debacle, Mark and Caveman were able to dismantle the Beetle and not cut any wires, keeping it 100% functional. Next, the team turned a brand new Polaris slingshot into a 69 Camaro big wheel for Caveman's best friend. Redemption. Finally, the wait is over. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. No more lamenting about these concept vehicles and the debt surrounding them. Beauty is definitely in the eye of the beholder, and Nick Smith, who you might recognize from ClassicAvenue.com and appearances on other Motor Trend shows as an automotive appraiser, 
He represents an undisclosed client that was willing to pay $285,000, negotiating down from the three hundred fifteen dollars with that suspense-driven minimum of $250K or nothing, which we've been hearing about for nearly half the season. We're glad that the shop got their six-figure payday on these vehicles and that they could move on to other projects. And in doing so, the audience could also move on. So Godspeed to the car and the bike. Jumping the shark. Then comes the Oppenheimer commissioned build me a muscle car for $100,000 project, which included one of the most forced and awkward negotiations on the show to date. Mark chooses a C3 Corvette as the base for this build. My feelings on the C3 Corvette continue to ebb and flow. Some days I love it, others not so much. The overall plan's inspiration comes from the Mako 2 Corvette concept car. And that's a great idea. We like it a lot. The Mako 2 was sleek and sexy, and we were hoping that the team was going to follow the precedent that they laid out during the Lincoln Futura build from season one and create a near replica of that one-off concept car. What we ended up with was more Hot Wheels. Mark admits at one point he's known for cartoonish cars. Okay, we need to constantly remind ourselves of that this season. But here's my personal take on this build. Granted, I'm not a designer or even an artist, but why not start with a motorsports-inspired Bondurant-style wide-body Trans Am GTO kit and then graft that Shelby Daytona Mako Shark rear end to it. I mean, talk about a unique, menacing, and aggressive car. The carbon fiber front end was interesting to see come together, and the technical prowess of the team is always top-notch, but it just didn't seem to fit the rest of the lines. The rear fenders are cut short because of the double side exit exhaust. Mark has a real talent in the paint booth. The paint scheme is undeniably fresh, and you don't see too many gradient paint jobs anymore. It goes from a dark blue on top and changes to a silver at the bottom, just like the body of a shark. It is gorgeous. We did take issue with the design, and as Jason Oppenheimer put it, it's not subtle. But as long as he's happy, everyone's happy, right? Once the car was revealed, my mind wandered back to the C3 Corvette from the movie Corvette Summer, which we reviewed with our friend Stephen Izzy from Everything I Learned from Movies. But in the end, I'm not sure which I would choose in a contest, especially with a $100,000 price tag. In the end, the sale of the vehicle left the team with a solid $55,000 profit. Upgrade and trade, then sell. Finally, around episode six, we got back into the rhythm of season one, and the recipe goes as follows. Take a base Chevy Silverado K5 Blazer in late 70s brown and turn it into a rolling version of Darth Vader's helmet. Super black with hand-painted red ghost flames, add a dually rear end and matching flares, and you have one badass truck. The Blazer was traded for a 1957 Kenworth Big Rig that becomes a personal passion project for Mark in honor of his relationship with his father. The Kenworth is slated to be sold for a six-figure payday, hoping to fetch a tidy $100,000. Progress on the 57 Kenworth was halted due to a timeline shift for the Lincoln Zephyr service van build that started around episode five. Speedway Motors, the name's sponsor for that build, asked if the production could be sped up by two weeks before the annual Southwest Good Guys Car Show and Meet in Arizona, which left the team faced with a tough decision. Put the Kenworth on hold and find another buyer, or miss the opportunity to have the Zephyr featured on the latest Speedway Motors catalog cover. The Redcoats are coming! After the success of the photo shoot and the reveal of the Zephyr at the Good Guys show, the team was relieved to get back to the shop and focus on their remaining projects. If we jump back to the $285,000 sale of the concept pair for just a second, remember Nick Smith from episode 5? 
He steps back into the picture and proposes a new kind of deal. In short, merging his shop and efforts with Gotham Garage. This means adding a few new faces and pairs of hands to help elevate the results and move things along. We're not 100% sure what the loaded term elevate means just yet, but inquiring minds want to know. So keep it classy, Temecula. We close with the teams from the two shops meeting each other and throwing some shade around the shop. A hearty laugh and a handshake, and it becomes a stay tuned to be continued ending with the 57 Kenworth incomplete. As my wife pointed out, episode eight, the season finale, wrapped up rather quickly, leaving season four feeling half-baked. Where's the rest of it? She asked. Even though it didn't come through the entirety of the season, the show did add something new. More office-like two-on-one moments where team members like Constance and Caveman are seated with a blurred background, breaking the fourth wall, giving us more behind the scenes and emotional input between stages of each build. We hope to see more of that as it gives the audience a break from following all the work. I want to wrap up our thoughts on Car Masters first by saying we love this show. The people, the work, the creativity are all top-notch. Some of this review might have come off a bit cynical and jaded, but after over three years of faithfully sticking with these builders, they have set the bar really high, especially in season one, and first impressions are lasting impressions. So we hope that you take this review with a grain of salt. And if you're new to the show, understand that season one was so amazingly good, we're always comparing it to any future builds. At the end of the day, Car Masters Rust to Riches is still a great show that my wife and I completely and thoroughly enjoy watching together, and we wish the team the best of success and can't wait for a season five. We hope you enjoyed another awesome episode of Break Fix Podcast brought to you by Grand Tory Motorsports. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or get involved, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Grand Touring Motorsports. And if you'd like to learn more about the content of this episode, be sure to check out the follow-on article at gtmotorsports.org. We remain a commercial-free and no annual fees organization through our sponsors, but also through the generous support of our fans, families, and friends through Patreon. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can get access to more behind-the-scenes action, additional pit stop minisodes, and other VIP goodies, as well as keeping our team of creators fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gumby Bears, and Monster. So consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without you, none of this would be possible.